may be a little bit tempting, being a small church trying to get started, to say all those great, big, beautiful buildings will come crumbling down. But uh, that will not be our focus for today. Last Sunday, I wished everyone a happy Veterans Day before entering into the sermon. This morning, I get to announce another of our national holidays, that being Thanksgiving, a happy Thanksgiving to you. Of course, this week, the holiday is not on Sunday as last week it was. It's instead, of course, this coming Thursday. And this last Thursday, a week prior, I was pleased to be part of a community Thanksgiving event hosted by our friends at St. Paul's Evangelical here in Cibolo. It was a service which gathered members of clergy from the various area churches in support of RACAP. And RACAP stands for the Randolph Area Christian Assistance Program. RACAP was founded in 1983 by church and community leaders to provide assistance for those in need. RACAP provides many forms of assistance, being food, rent assistance, prescription medications, and assistance with utilities. As may be imagined, they are currently requesting donations specifically to provide for holiday assistance, both for Thanksgiving, to finish the last of the Thanksgiving baskets, and for Christmas, for those who are in need. And you can learn more about them at RACAP.org. That's R-A-C-A-P dot O-R-G dot org. RACAP.org. Now then, when it comes to holidays, we have a variety on our national calendar. Last week was Veterans Day. That's a purely national holiday, which we recognize and support. But in reality, has nothing to do with the church. So other than recognizing the day, there's little for the church to do. And next month, we celebrate Christmas. And Christmas is purely a church holiday, which the national government recognizes. And being a church holiday, it's going to be a major part of our worship services and Christmas Day and the weeks to follow until Epiphany. This month, in just a few days, it is, as said earlier, Thanksgiving. It is a national holiday with distinct church connections. First, or the first Thanksgiving thing, blurring my words, the, the first Thanksgiving in the colonies was celebrated in October of 1621. At least that's the one that is historically marked as the first. It was the first harvest festival there at the Pilgrim Outpost settlement. It included those 53 pilgrims who had survived the year and 90 members of the local Wampanoag tribe. And I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, so apologies if I am not. Now, harvest festivals were nothing new to the pilgrims. We in the church have had liturgies and prayers and designated feast days for harvest festivals for centuries and centuries. They have really only fallen out of practice and into disuse as our so, as society has grown more urban-based and less rural. 
But the idea that Thanksgiving should be a national holiday rather than simply a point on the church calendar went back and forth in the colonies and in the early states until it was finally settled by President Abraham Lincoln. In 1863, Lincoln proclaimed a national day of, and this is his quote, thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And designated that day to be celebrated on the fourth Thursday in November of the year 1863 and perpetually thereafter. And in doing so, he created an official national feast day recognizing thanks to God. He codified a holiday that was a combination of the secular and the divine. A day of thanksgiving to God for the many blessings we have received in this incredible nation beyond just good harvest, but symbolized by the harvest. Our many blessings marked with a feast. It was, just in case you're not good with your dates or what happened during which presidencies, a proclamation that was made during the Civil War. It was a reminder to the people of the United States that even in our darkest hours, God has blessed us in this country. And the United States continues to be blessed. And sometimes one might think that that blessing is in spite of ourselves. And we should, in recognition of the many blessings we enjoy as a nation, give thanks for the blessings that inspire millions of people to immigrate to the United States. Because obviously immigration does not stop with the pilgrims. Those immigrating to the United States include the average of one million immigrants who are authorized entry into the United States by our government and the many more who enter the United States each year without the government's authorization. We don't know how many that is, but U.S. Border Patrol reports that they stopped 303,906,000 people from 303,916, there we go, that's a better way of saying the number, 303,916 people from entering the United States without proper authorization last year. More get by and get in than get caught. So we know the numbers entering the United States without authorization is quite high. In fact, just using the legal authorization numbers, the United States is such a desirable place to live that we have been the number one immigrant location every single year since 1960. We have received more immigrants than any other country. We've received more applications for immigration than any other country every single year since 1960. With or without authorization, one thing is true among all those who desire to live in the United States. They see the United States as a place where they can live better lives, lives in a country which is blessed. If they can only get in, they will have reason to give incredible thanks. They can only get in a process that is at best time-consuming and expensive working through the immigration process. And at worst, it is expensive and potentially deadly, to, att to attempt to enter without authorization. But if they can only get in, the blessings will flow 
and their lives will improve. I bring all of this up because we should give thanks. It is right to give thanks for the blessings we enjoy for no other reason than we live in the United States. We have reason to feast in the United States. But the United States, even with all of its blessings, is not the kingdom of God. That may surprise some people that you see on Facebook and Twitter and all the other social uh, media platforms. But the United States is not the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God comes with this ultimate promise. The promise of a new heaven and a new earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, who with a loud voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is from Revelation chapter 21. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Drink and be satisfied without payment forever and ever. Amen. That is the promise of the kingdom of God. Anyone who gets in will be ultimately blessed. Like those trying to enter the United States, the question is, if you can only get in. If we can, if we can get in. And the answer, turning our attention to the epistle today, rather than our gospel passage, is we can. We can. We can get in. Turning back to that epistle reading from Hebrews, we read this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have confidence, confidence to enter the holy places. We can get in. Our getting in is an expensive process, but we don't pay the price. Jesus gave up every honor, glory, all the riches of heaven, and subjected himself to life on earth with all of the frailties and weaknesses of the human body. It's expensive, but Jesus paid the price. Our getting in is a deadly process, but our lives are not at risk. Jesus, after giving up all of heaven to take on a human body, surrendered that human life in sacrifice for us. Jesus 
died so that we can get in. We have confidence to enter the holy places which were once barricaded, blocked, prohibited, walled off from the rest of us and only accessed by the high priests of the temple and even then only once per year. We have confidence to enter the holy places from which we were once barred. We now enter with confidence by the blood of Christ and through his flesh. How do we have any claim to the blood and body of Jesus? How can we, in good conscience, enter the holy place through his sacrifice? The writer of Hebrews tells us, Let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I do hope that you've recognized already what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, but just in case not, you must know that this passage is a sacramental passage of Scripture. Our hearts sprinkled clean as our bodies are washed with pure water refers to Christian baptism. The word biblical commentary is one of the most respected academic commentaries in print states the expression, the body having been washed with clean water, refers to the outward sign of the inward purgation accomplished by the blood of Christ. In the Septuagint, that being the first Latin translation for the sake of bringing the New Testament into the language of the people, pure water is an expression for the water used in ritual purification. Already in Hebrews chapter 9, 13 through 14, so the reader of the Hebrews who was reading this passage we read today would have already read the chapter, what's now known as chapter 9, the writer contrasted the cleansing that affects only the body with the decisive purgation that reaches to the conscious and makes possible the service of God. Christian baptism, which replaces all previous cleansing rites, Christian baptism belongs to the new covenant because it is accompanied by the reality that it symbolizes. Both clauses of verse 22 provide complementary interpretations of the event of baptism. The washing of body with water and the purging of the heart are complementary aspects of Christian conversion. In our passage, we clearly have baptism described. It would have been known easily to any reader of this letter to the Hebrews. And with the close, opening and the closing words of this section, we also have the standard for which we now have the sacrament of confirmation. Opening with, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And then closing with, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. You see here we have the grace of God that has poured out upon us in baptism and our responsibility to cooperate with that grace through our faithful response. It's not just a response. It's not a one and done mental ascent one time, but a holding fast, the writer said. Holding fast to the faith. Hold fast 
to your confession of hope. Do not stray from the faith. As Jesus tells us elsewhere in the Gospels, we are to abide in Him so that He will abide in us. Now then, in our passage, we enter the holy places with confidence because we are baptized, we meet the standards of confirmation, and we receive the body and blood of Christ, the sacrifice and sacrament of the Eucharist, the Greek term used for our Christian feast, the Greek term that means, quite literally, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving indeed, feast indeed, reason to celebrate indeed, we get to enter with confidence. But there is more than celebration to do. How is it that everyone in the world wants to move to the United States? Because the word is out. People spread the word. They tell the people who are back home. The movies, the press, the television, every single thing that has breath tells the world that America is great and you need to move here. And Christians, we have an even greater responsibility because the kingdom of God is greater. Our passage closes with these words. It is a charge, it is a command for every Christian to keep. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you are in the kingdom, if you enter with confidence, it is your responsibility to love one another, to do good works, to come together in worship, and to encourage one another. In other words, tell others how they too can enter the holy place. How they too can get in. That we may all feast in thanksgiving. Amen.